With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. So I want to I ask you more about the dynamics of, of crossword puzzles. But just a lot of people when they're in eighth grade or seventh grade like games and like puzzles and think, boy, this would be great if I could just play games for the rest of my life. And then somehow society takes over and says, no, you need to be a lawyer. Yeah. You need to be an accountant. You need to be an engineer. Somebody has to do those things. Right. But how did you say, nah, I'm, you even went to college. You studied enig- enigmatology. You, you made up your degree. You, right. you convinced the school to create a degree about puzzles. And then you're the only person who got a bachelor's degree in enigmatology. And you were right. smart for not calling it puzzles. You made up like a more academic <laughs> name for it. I don't right. know how you found the name enigmatology, but let's say someone's listening to this and they're 50 and they're thinking to themselves, man, I've been going to work at this job I really don't <laughs> like for the past 25 years. And I want to do what I think is really fun. Maybe I want to write comic books or I want to make music or I want to Absolutely. solve puzzles and do crossroads. What's what's the you've been doing this, you've been getting good at this skill. You put in your thirty thousand hours starting at the age of three. <laughs> what 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 do you suggest to someone who wants to pursue a, a love like this? You've obviously so lucky to, to pursue something yeah, yeah. you love so much. Yeah yeah. Well wow. <sighs> I think I have a very flexible mind. I think the thing that I am best at in the world is solving problems. And if you give me any kind of problem, I will think through every possible solution there is, because sometimes a stupid idea leads to a good one. Super excited to have Will Shorts on the show. Will Shorts is maybe primarily known as the crossword puzzle editor for the New York Times. But you're kind of, I would say, Given the popularity of crossword puzzles, you're sort of the most famous puzzler in the world. It's partly that I am the editor for the newspaper that has the most famous crossword. Yeah, like, well, like people, like, it's almost like you look down on, uh, not you, but people in general look down on, like, other papers' crossword. Like, the USA Today crossword puzzle, only do that if if USA Today is the only one available. Otherwise, it's the New York Times. Yeah, it's a snobbish thing. Also, uh, I do puzzles every Sunday morning on NPR. And uh, that's have three and that has three and a half million listeners. So a lot of people know me only from that. When my Sudoku books came out in two thousand five, six, and seven, and they were bestsellers, I found people who were unaware that I was at the New York Times or on NPR. But you know, they uh, solved Sudoku. So there's lots of ways people come at me. 
So let me ask you. So you've written like over 150 books on crossword puzzles, Sudoku, probably other puzzles. I don't even know. Over 500, 600 or so. 500 books? Uh-huh. Am I, so crossword puzzles, Sudoku, what else? Those two mainly, then some variety puzzles, but those are the two big ones. I always, when I first started doing Sudoku, which is like, I want to say 20 years ago, it seemed to me that you could write computer programs to generate thousands of Sudoku games yes. and then just make them into books. Yes. And so it's your brand really that is, you know, your brand is kind of an expert curator of puzzles is the reason why I would buy your Sudoku book over, let's say, the big book of Sudoku puzzles written by someone else. Right. So when the Sudoku craze first started, and it started in England, um, my publishing company is owned by a British company. So the, uh, my, the, what the story I heard was the publisher in Britain called the editor in New York and said, uh, you know, get some Sudoku books. These are big. So uh, she called around uh, to bookstores and asked, are you interested in some Sudoku books? And they said, not really. And then she said, what if they were edited by Will Shorts? And uh, they Boom. said, yes. So she called me, said, uh, I want three books of Sudoku, and I want them in two weeks. So, and it's not, and, and, and so just... Sorry, I, I interrupted your story. I imagine is you, you finished a bunch of books in two weeks on Sudoku. <laughs> oh, I've, I couldn't possibly make those myself, but I have a colleague uh, from the World Puzzle Championship, a friend of mine, who creates puzzles. So uh, he created the puzzles. I researched their, researched their history and discovered who invented them because no one knew up to that point. I did a little detective work, and our books came out, and uh, a couple of them were among the top-selling books of the year. Yeah, I would always used to... Um solve the puzzles on like i would try to finish a book on like a cross-atlantic flight for instance they're big they're big flying books yeah so uh you're also known for i mean you're known for many things but you, you started the american crossword puzzle tournament each right, year right which how many people showed up last year uh, about a, had about uh, 670 some contestants and total attendance is around a thousand and uh the youngest ever winner was last year right eric agard he's not the youngest but he's in his 20s uh, and we had a, a one one winner at twenty years old, um, and, and then we've had winners in, in their fifties. It's a very broad range of people who are good at crosswords. So the main uh, there's so many different directions I want to go, but the main thing is is that I feel like I'm incredibly jealous of you. <laughs> like who who else gets to say, like I don't know how old you were, but you you were saying from the age of fourteen on up, I just want to do puzzles. Like I have a quote. You wrote in an essay when you were 13, I want to make puzzles for the rest of my life. Right. And that's what you do. You just sit around having fun, making puzzles and playing games. Like That's like the ideal life. Like It's no accident that this publisher said yes when the, when you're... It's not like you randomly you know, became this editor. You were, you were also the editor of Games Magazine, I should add, for many years. And, and it's not... It, you, that's all you've done, like, is play games and and make puzzles and play puzzles, and you must be really happy. <laughs> yeah, it's a good life. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a lot of work. There's deadlines every day. There's pressure. When you make 500 books, there's got to be deadlines every day. <laughs> <laughs> there's a daily deadline at the New York Times, and then I have two puzzles a week for NPR and and everything else. But you're right, it's play, uh, and I love what I do because uh, I'm using my brain. Um, it's creative. Um, I feel like I'm always stretching myself, whether it's finding an interesting fact about something I didn't know, 
coming up with a twisty clue that will twist your brain. Uh, and I also love the people I come in contact with through puzzles. They're interesting, well-rounded, often funny people. And uh, it's just a good group of people. Well, I imagine funny because, well, I mean, again, this is, this is almost immediately getting into the weeds a little bit, but take the average crossword puzzle, a good crossword puzzle. It's not like, you know, let's say you're doing a crossword puzzle about the presidents. It's not like a clue would be who was the third president. You are, you're always looking for reversals, like like very unobvious clue, very unobvious answers to clues. Right. Like the, the clues, the, the answers are almost, you're, the clues are, I don't know how you would describe it, but reversal or misdirection. You're almost trying to throw people off. I'm trying to throw people off, and when you get the answer, you think, oh, of course. There's a good example in today's New York Times crossword. Which clue. I did, by the way. Good job. No, it's actually tomorrow's news, tomorrow's Times crossword. Uh -oh. So I'm, I'm giving you an answer now. But it was a it's airport named after a president, and the answer is eight letters. And uh, I'll just tell you the answer is wait, 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 wait. named after president uh, De Gaulle. That is it. Yeah, yeah, very Boom. good. You, that is impressive. Because of Mister, I knew it's not. Gonna be <laughs> you Kennedy. know, it's not a U.S. president. <laughs> yeah. So nice very job. Good. Um. But but today even there were some tricky ones. I can't even remember now. What was what was in today's? There was uh, there there was a couple of things that that threw me off, and I had the only way I was able to get it was by solving all the uh, for all the letters and then just figuring it out from there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, here it is. And of course, you only need to know a, a fraction of the things that are in a crossword because fill in what you know for sure. Uh, and then build out from there. And once you get some letters, then that suggests other answers, and those answers suggest other answers. And uh, my favorite comment I get from solvers is when someone says, when I started the puzzle, I didn't think I could do it. And I kept working, working my way around. And when I was all done, I looked back and thought, what was so hard about that? Well, it, it's funny. Pres uh, on so there's a documentary about you called Wordplay. Came out in 2006 it's on Amazon. Anyone could watch it. And you know the normal cast of characters are in there. You're in there. President Clinton, John Stewart. You know a couple people like that. Yeah. But President Clinton said uh, uh, he sometimes has to look at 50 clues before he comes up with his first answer. And right. then it's like a steamroller after that, like yeah, yeah. coming up with the, the, the answers. And he said something very smart. He said it's uh, solving a crossword is like tackling any problem in life. You start with what you know for sure and then build out from there. And that's uh, it, true. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, uh, let me just look at some of the... I just want to see some of the clues from today. Uh, that well, I it's a Monday puzzle, uh, so yeah, yeah, there was... won't be anything too challenging. No, there were some challenges, oh, yeah. but uh, uh, but you know there were some some ones like martial arts master Bruce and then three letters. Of course, it's of late. course. Uh -huh. uh, so you had some of those where it's like very obvious, but I felt there was like some uh, misdirection in here, um, or and there, or there were things I didn't know. Yeah. So so like for even for something like this, let's take this Monday crossword puzzle and let's take the average person off the street who could solve it. How how many clues do you think they'll know? Uh, or how many? How, or or is it more like they can solve fifty percent, and that will lead to the other fifty percent, like you were just saying? Oh, you need much less than that. All you need is a couple answers to get going, and then those letters help with the crossings. And you know, work from the consonants or the unusual letters. If you happen to get a Q in the puzzle, use that because there aren't going to be many answers that could possibly work in the other direction. Whereas an E or an A isn't going to be so helpful. So I want to I ask you more about the dynamics of, of 
crossword puzzles and, and puzzles that you like and what you consider, you know, challenging in terms of puzzles and games, because I've heard you talk about Scrabble, for instance. But just a lot of people when they're in eighth grade or seventh grade like games and like puzzles and think, boy, this would be great if I could just play games for the rest of my life. And then somehow society takes over and says, no, you need to be a lawyer. Yeah. You need to be an accountant. You need to be an engineer. Somebody has to do those things. Right. But how did you say, nah, I'm, you even went to college, you studied enig enigmatology. You, you made up your degree. You, right. you convinced the school to create a degree about puzzles. And then you're the only person who got a bachelor's degree in enigmatology. And you were right. smart for not calling it puzzles. You made up like a more academic <laughs> name for it. I don't right. know how you found the name enigmatology, but I like it. It's a word that uh, I found in an unabridged dictionary. It had last been used in the late 1700s, but I thought it was uh, perfect for my major. Isn't the Riddler on Batman uh, Enigma, Edward Enigma? Isn't that his name? Sure. Uh -huh. And you made also for Batman Forever, you made the- I made the riddles. The riddles for the Riddler. Yeah, yeah. So, so you've been around, but how did you, uh, so again, from eighth grade on, how did you kind of stick, stay pure to this idea that I want to make puzzles? It's very difficult, I think, to do yeah, that. Yeah. What would your parents well, say? Well, uh, of course, my parents didn't think much of that idea. Um, my uh, mom was a writer, a creative person, so she actually sort of liked the, the idea of puzzles. My dad was a personnel director for R.R. Donnelly Printing Company, and he always said, puzzles make a great avocation, not a vocation. Uh, so it's a nice hobby. I feel like he's doing a crossword puzzle there almost. <laughs> <laughs> Says he'll make a nice hobby, but don't think about making them your career. Uh, but he eventually came around. You know, but, but okay, so then, I mean, did you have friends in high school? Like, were you all doing crossword puzzles at lunchtime? I, you know, is that, is that, well, no, but I'll tell you one, the, something that just jumped to mind. Uh, one of my best friends from uh, government class, I think around eighth grade, and we're sitting in the back of the class and we had a challenge to make word squares. And you probably know what those are. Those are like many tiny crosswords where the words across and down read the same. So we started making three by three ones, which are simple, you know, you can do those in your sleep. And then we made uh, four by four ones. And uh, and then my friend kept making four by fours and I went on to five by fives and he gave up. And And do you feel like, when you're in the middle of a puzzle like that, I think there's probably a couple things psychologically that happen. One is there's this flow state where you're just like single-mindedly focused on just this part of the brain that is so focused on solving or making this puzzle so that there's a pleasure in being in this flow state. Yeah. And then um, do you think it also works at kind of, you know, there's always the claim that crossword puzzles, for instance, Will, will delay Alzheimer's. I don't know if that's been proven or not, but that's always the claim. It's not proven, but uh, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence for that. Do you think in general it makes one smarter in terms of connecting the dots of different ideas? Yes, I think uh, puzzles in general, and crosswords in particular, are great for the brain because they exercise so many parts of the brain. You know, your vocabulary, obviously, things you learned in school when you were a kid, things you learned in an adult, uh, everything from serious subjects like history and and uh, um, mythology up to popular music, uh, sports, uh, everything in the world. And they also test your creativity and flexibility of mind. And we use our bodies all day 
to keep our bodies in shape, it only makes sense that you use your brain to keep your brain in shape. Yeah, well, uh, it's true, isn't it true? The brain um, burns up to 25% of the calories you burn per day. Yeah. So, you know, you have to keep your brain exercised or else, I don't know, you run out of energy. Yeah. And there's lots of ways to keep your brain occupied. There's lots of good exercises. You know, learning a new language is supposed to be very good, but that's not much fun. Nice thing about crosswords or puzzles is that they are genuinely enjoyable and that you want to do them. If, you, if you're the right sort of person, you want to do them and you don't give up like you would learning a new language. But So, okay, so you get to university, you're Indiana University, and you, you convince them to uh, make this degree for you. What did you study for four years? Uh-huh. Well, um, all my puzzle courses were independent study because, as you might imagine, there were no existing courses on puzzles. Um, I started the program, actually, my junior year, and one of my courses was on crossword construction. Every f I found a professor in the English department who was willing to work with me on this. He liked crosswords himself. Every few weeks, I would create an original puzzle, uh, and this was my first professional quality crosswords, and uh, I would take my puzzle in to his office, sit next to him like you and I, and uh, he would solve it and critique the puzzle. And, and what would be some of his criticisms when you were just beginning? So, uh, so by the way, to, to make a crossword puzzle, it's not just coming up with a bunch of clues and answers. There's specific rules about, you know, if you flip the crossword puzzle, the black squares have to look... the Basically, the shape of where the black squares are has to be the same. Right. You know, you have to have a uh, an interesting theme, or most of the time, you have to have an interesting theme. You know, and and a good crossword puzzle, like we discussed earlier, there's misdirection in the in the clues. Uh, are there any rules? I would imagine most of the spaces are white spaces, so that there's a lot of room for for answers. Interesting words. Well. American crosswords have some basic rules you have to follow. You mentioned one of them, that the diagram has to be symmetrical, which generally means if you rotate the diagram 180 degrees, the pattern of black squares looks the same as it did uh, uh, right side up. Other rules are we don't allow unchecked squares in American crosswords. That means every letter has to be a part of two words. If you, if there's, uh, so if you don't know the answer going across, you got a chance to get it from the downs. Uh, we don't allow two-letter words in American crosswords. And you can't repeat a word. And there can't be an island of words. You can, things can't be separated. It has to be all over interlock. So the solver should never have to uh, stop and jump to another part of the grid. You should be able, there should be good flow from one section to the next. Those are some of the basic rules. But then beyond that, for a good crossword, uh, you look for interesting, colorful, juicy vocabulary that basically people know. Uh, it's no fun to have a puzzle full of stuff that you've never heard of. Um, and they look just for a lively, colorful vocabulary. Uh, you, you know, but, so, but again, like lively, colorful vocabulary, you had, you had in today's puzzle, uh, you know, Latin for existence. Uh -huh. I didn't know Latin. That's like, uh, yeah, the, so the answer is NS. That's a two-word phrase. And uh, I've run across it in real life before. It's not something that I like to put in a puzzle. First of all, a lot of people don't know it. Second, it's boring letters. You know, it's I-N-E-S-S-E. -S -S -E. I mean, E's and S's are not interesting. Uh, Why? Tomorrow's puzzle, well, because they're so common. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow's puzzle, I'll give you another answer, has quinoa in it, Q-U-I-N-O-A. I think it's right next to Easy Pass. I mean, those are, that's really interesting vocabulary. And right next to that is do laps. Uh, that's not something that you'll find in the dictionary because it's a phrase, 
but uh, it's something we all know. It's interesting. We wrote a good clue for it. Uh, so that's part of what makes a good crossword. So what were some of the critiques when you were first starting out? Like, what were some basic mistakes that now you realize, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that when I was 18? Huh. Um, uh, that was a long time ago, so I don't remember his critiques, but I did get an A in the class. Of course. You, <laughs> you graded yourself, basically. <laughs> um, and then what else would you study? So you had crossword, ah, puzzle construction. I studied uh, the history. So I, one of my courses was on the history of American word puzzles of the 20th century. And I went back and researched all the major varieties and where they came from. Uh, took courses, several courses on mathematical puzzles, both their history and creating them myself. Well, what do you mean by a mathematical puzzle? You know, puzzles with numbers. Uh, things that uh, my, my hero as a child was Sam Lloyd, L-O-Y-D. Yes, you know him because uh, he was also famous in the chess world as a chess problemist. But I know him from the, from the uh, puzzle uh, side of his work. He was the most famous puzzle maker of his era. Uh, he was, died in 1911. Um, and uh, so I would, uh, I just idolized him. And I know I was an unusual kid. What kind of kid idolizes a puzzle maker? But uh, I was entranced by him. That's but, what but, I wanted to do. But it's very interesting because to get, to get good, you were obviously, well, let me start this way. To get good at anything, any skill, whether it's puzzle making or, or puzzles in general or accounting or music or whatever, you have to really be passionate enough to be obsessed. The obsessed person will always spend more time with more interest in the nuances than the unobsessed person. Sure. And so in the long run, I do feel someone who's obsessed with with uh, uh, with the skill they are trying to acquire will beat out the person who is not obsessed with the skill they are trying to acquire. Yeah. I could be wrong on that. Like maybe talent plays a role. I think talent's the ignition, but then then obsession kind of takes you the rest of the way. It takes both. And, and, and on top of that, like you, you, you know, knowing the history is very valuable in any area. Like yeah. if you want to be great at, you know, building a rocket ship that'll fly to Mars, you probably have to know the history of rocketry and, yeah. and physics and so on. And so, like, where where do you think the history of uh, puzzles helped you later on? I mean, certainly when you were at Games Magazine, because you were editing all sorts of puzzles in lots of different categories, but right. probably when developing new puzzles. All the time, sure. Um, part of my, uh, my thesis when I was at Indiana was on the history of American word puzzles before 1860. And I'm sure that I'm the only person ever to study this subject. But one of the things I found was that I think it's the 17th earliest work published in the colonies, in the American colonies, uh, had, uh, was an almanac uh, uh, for the year, and it had an original American puzzle for each month of the year. And this was in the uh, uh, Massachusetts Bay Colony area. So the, here is people were living a very tough life then, just you know, scratching out a living. It was also a very religious time, so people didn't care much for amusements. But even in that society, the appeal of puzzles was so strong that someone was making puzzles for their almanac. What was like the clue, the, the clue for January, the puzzle for January? They were, uh, the, it was an original enigma um, uh, in verse where you would read the poem and then you'd, it was supposed to make you think about one thing, but it was actually something else. 
that was the kind of puzzle it was. So I can't read you the uh, the puzzle, but uh, uh, I was amazed that uh, to discover puzzles that far back. So it seems like a, so again that applies like this idea of misdirection yeah. that uh, the thing you might first be thinking as a solution is totally wrong. Exactly. And, and I wonder if that's a common thing for interest. How would you, you know, when when looking at a puzzle, uh, you know, you you could almost define interestingness or or you know, sort of the the nuances of the puzzle by how much misdirection there is. Right. Uh, part of what makes a great joke is you see the story heading in one direction, and then there's the punchline, and uh, and that makes you laugh. And there's something similar with puzzles where you're thinking one thing, and then there's the twist, and you have the realization and figure out the answer. And and so so what else? I mean, again, we're t- we're talking four years of study. I'm just curious what else. You this was like your apprenticeship on the way to wizardry in in you know the Hogwarts of 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 puzzle making. So I'm just curious what else you study because these are clues to what anybody has to study when they're when they're passionate about something. Huh. Well, I made up all my courses myself. Another uh, took a course on logic puzzles, and I found a professor in the philosophy department who was willing to do this with me, and I created original logic pr- puzzles for that class. Um, like, 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 I uh, are they related to like I always used to be obsessed with um, the island of liars and truth tellers. Very good. Yeah, yeah. I didn't make that particular kind. I made the kinds I made where there there were uh, five people with different first names and different last names, and they had different occupations, and they were from five different cities. And then there's clues that you explain, and then you figure out who everybody is. And did you make them or solve them, or both? Both. Uh So for everything you did, you both made the problems and solved them? Well, for that course, uh, I took a course on crossword magazines where I... Uh, researched the entire field. I went to the newsstand and bought every crossword magazine there was and, and wrote a report about it afterward. Uh, and uh, took a course on the psychology of puzzles through a professor in the psychology department. And that was partly um, what's going through our brain when we solve a puzzle. And secondarily, why, are, why do we do puzzles? I mean, we're faced with problems every day in life. Why do we make them up to do them for fun? Uh, but that's one of the things I studied. I, I imagine, just like you said, we're, we're, we have problems every day in life, but I imagine puzzles are a safe way, a safe and easy way, not easy, but a safe way to tackle problems as opposed to waiting for them to happen in real life. You could practice tackling problems and the psychology of tackling them by doing them in a game or puzzle situation. Yeah. Well, part of the appeal, I think, is most problems we have in everyday life don't have clear-cut solutions. We just muddle through and do the best we can. Uh, The satisfying thing about a crossword, a Sudoku, or any other other kind of human-made puzzle is when you get the answer, you know you've achieved perfection, and that's very satisfying. And another thing, most problems we have in everyday life, we don't see the entire uh, problem. Let's say you have a problem with your car, you know, you take it to the mechanic. So, you know, a little thing, you tell them the symptoms and they fix it. Um, but with a crossword, you see the process through from start to finish. And that's also very satisfying. You feel like you are in control uh, and when you solve a puzzle. And again, most of life, we don't feel we're in control. Uh, so puzzles are satisfying because they are empowering. Is there is there a negative aspect to this where somebody who... Re- 
really feels out of control in their life. Let's say they come from, you know, a bad home situation or whatever. And so they use puzzles as an escape and, and just dive into them without regard to anything else. Well, like most things in life, you can become obsessed and do them to, uh, you can do too much of them. How do you know you aren't at that point? <laughs> well, I'm making my living from them, so uh, it's okay. Uh, I'm an, I know I'm an obsessive sort of person. Uh, I just try to keep it under control. How many days in a row have you played ping pong? So today, uh, last, last night was my 2307th consecutive day of playing table tennis, and you would never guess I'm obsessive uh, because <laughs> of that. Um, so, so when you were, again, studying all these, you know, enigmatology, did you ever stop and think, oh, God, what am I doing? I should be learning ah, chemistry. <laughs> interesting. The uh, first New York Times crossword editor, Margaret Farrer, she was there from 1942 to 69, and she was the grand lady of crosswords. And she wrote once, when she was in her 40s, she had midlife crisis, wondering, was she wasting her life uh, on something frivolous? I've never had midlife crisis. Uh, I, first of all, I enjoy what I'm doing, so that's satisfaction enough. But I, I know crosswords are good because they're wholesome entertainment and because they elevate knowledge and uh, they're just good for the brain. So I know, I, I believe I'm doing good just in having fun myself. And, and but was there, was there, like, it almost seems like too easy a life <laughs> like you you knew from basically zero years old that you wanted to be a puzzle maker and then lo and behold you you're the greatest puzzle maker in the world and and you have this j great job new york times editor of crossword puzzles you were the games editor of puzzles you were uh you've written 500 books about crossword puzzles and sudoku and other puzzles when's there been um when's there been a problem have you ever been <laughs> Have you ever said, oh, I wish, I wish life would be a little different today? Huh. Uh, no, I basically never had that wish. Um, I, there was a short space in, let me think about this, 1978 when I was unemployed for a few months. Uh, I had started out at Penny Press Puzzle Magazines, and I just got fed up there and left. Uh, and Games Magazine was just starting then, so that's where I... Uh, uh, went to work shortly thereafter. But uh, for a little while there, I was unemployed. I was writing a book, making a book of puzzles. But I was wondering, you know, what am I going to do with my life? What can I do? I thought of going into advertising copywriting because I feel I'm a creative person. But uh, fortunately, I got a job at games and never had to really consider that. Yeah, and then from there, from then on, it's just been been upwards. I guess, yeah. Games to, to... To the Times. I was at Games Magazine for 15 years and now at the Times for a little over 25. And now with the New York Times, so just to, just to explain, uh, and I think you instituted this change where Monday's the easiest and it gets successively more difficult through Saturday and then Sunday's a slightly bigger puzzle. I didn't actually start that. Um, I don't know. I think what happened under Margaret Farrer at she, she, her Monday to Friday puzzles were all the same, and then if she had a real toughie, she scheduled it for Saturday when most people don't have a job to go to, don't have work, uh, and she called that a two cups of coffee puzzle. At some point, uh, that uh, 
that uh, tradition started where the Monday puzzles were easier and they build up to harder Fridays and Saturdays. My innovation uh, was to is to steepen the slope of difficulty. So I think m- the Monday puzzles that I edit are the easiest that they have ever been in time's history. But the Friday and Saturday puzzles are the hardest they've ever been. And it's not hard generally by obscurity. It's hard by trickery, deception, twisting your brain. And and you don't, uh, right now at least, you don't make the puzzles. Other people submit the puzzles to you. Yes. And then you might edit a lot uh, for each puzzle if you think the clues are a little too obscure or or whatever. But, but you're more you know, curating hundreds of puzzle makers who are submitting them to you. Right. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people think wrongly that I create the puzzles for the times because my name is at the top of the puzzle. But I'm the editor. Um, I get uh, 75 to 100 submissions a week. Um, and uh, I have two assistants. We pour through all the puzzles, all the submissions. Everyone gets a reply, yes or no. Um, once I accept a puzzle, I slate it for a particular day of the week, whatever I think it's right for, Monday up to whatever. Um, I edit a week's worth of puzzles at a time. I'm a, a very hands-on editor. On average, about half the clues are mine. Um, and I'm editing, first of all, for accuracy. doesn't matter how interesting, clever, and deceptive the clues are if there is a mistake. So uh, I work really hard to make sure everything is perfect. And then I'm editing for the right level of difficulty. You know, so I, uh, tomorrow's puzzle, uh, which is a Tuesday at the time we're talking, um, it was a, basically a Tuesday puzzle in theme and vocabulary, but the clues were Thursday. They are Thursday level. They were too tricky and hard and, and vague. So I brought them down to a Tuesday level of difficulty, in my opinion. Um, How do you do that? Like, take What's the sample clue that you made from Thursday to Tuesday level of difficulty? Well, I'm now giving you another answer to tomorrow's puzzle. Well, you don't puzzle. give me the answer. I'm just curious about the clue. <laughs> well, oh, well, I have to give you the answer. The answer is Golden Spike. And the clue is, was Leland Stanford uh, drove one, once drove one in Utah. Now, I think most people don't really know what the Golden Spike is. Uh, that was the last spike that was put in in the Transcontinental Railroad back in 1870s, I don't know, don't hold me to that, long time ago. And Leland Stanford, the, uh, the architect, uh, I don't know. I didn't think people would even understand that clue. So I just made it direct, uh, say the, the last thing that, uh, what completed the Transcontinental Railroad in whatever year. Because when you get the answer, even if you don't know that fact, I want you to understand it. Uh, so that was an example of... How would anyone know that though? Uh, the fact that about the Golden Spike or about yeah. Leland Stanford? Well, let's say about Leland Stanford first. Right. I'd, uh, not even for Friday or Saturday, I wouldn't do that. Huh. That's too difficult. Not for Tuesday. Too obscure. Just obscure. Yeah, not that interesting. You know, difficult, obscure can be, uh, once in a while can work. If it's an interesting fact and at the end of it, you work it out from the crossings, you know, huh, I didn't know that. Okay. That's a good obscure. A bad obscure is, what's that about? Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. 
And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be... VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of, because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access 
to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So with the more difficult puzzles, what makes somebody different that they could saw? Like, I know, like, let's say the Friday or Saturday puzzles, the best guys out there could solve them in four or five minutes, right? Yes. And so that's really fast for this hundred, you know, over a hundred clues. And it's incredibly difficult, like Leland Stanford doing all sorts of different things <laughs> around the planet. <laughs> and what, what, what are the qualities of someone who's 25 years old, who's solving these in four minutes and 50 seconds? Right. Well, um, first of all, you have to be a good speller. Uh, you have to have a good vocabulary. It helps to know a little about everything. Um, How know, do they do that? How do they know a little about everything? They were, just have a good memory from school? They have good memory, but uh, you know they pick things up from school. They live life. They read a lot. They watch TV, go to movies, listen to music, just everything in life. And you know the brain is a sponge. You, it's not like you're trying to memorize these things. They just get soaked up. Uh, I, uh, I mentioned earlier that crossword people tend to be well, good crossword people tend to be well-rounded individuals. Because if you're not well-rounded, there's just too much in the puzzle that you're not going to know. Um, so those are the basic uh, skills of good crossword solvers. There's one specialized skill for the very top champions that just blows me away. Uh, Tyler Hinman, who was the 20-year-old champion in, in, uh, in Wordplay, the movie, um, he uh, has this technique where he will look at the first four down clues all at once get all the answers in his brain and then go back to the grid and fill them all in before looking at the acrosses. And it saves precious seconds in solving the puzzle if you don't go back and forth from the clues to the grid. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't hold four answers in my mind uh, without looking back at the clues. I'm not sure I could even hold two of them in my mind. Definitely not four. Uh, so that's just an incredible skill. It just leaves me in awe. So if you were to do a Friday or Saturday puzzle, how long would it take you? I'm a decent solver, but not like the champions. So can, yeah. you, can you tell looking at them, like just how they're thinking and about the thing that they're, okay, this is a this guy's going to be a champion level solver? Um, no, I can't do that just from looking at some. It's a special. But I mean like talking to them, like hearing their strategies like that one. 
well, I can tell someone's good just by, I don't know, by the time they tell me how much time it takes them to do a puzzle. That's basically it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and there's a lot of smart people who are not good at crossword solvers. Uh, but if you are a good crossword solver, you are smart. I don't like. I feel like I'm intelligent, but I feel like I don't know a lot of facts. Like, for instance, what was the last thing? The golden spike. Did? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so I think that always causes me problems. Yeah. You know, during the various periods where I've attempted to be good at crossword puzzle solving. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Well, I'm guessing you read a lot. I mean, uh, if you don't know the golden spike, that's fine. I mean, you you get it from the crossings. Um, uh, but I get the impression that you're a well-rounded person, so... Yeah, but somehow, like, I wouldn't know, you know... Yeah, I, I, I maybe could get a bunch of questions, but maybe in some cases not enough to then, bam, fill out the rest of the puzzle. Uh-huh. I'd have to really... I'd have to Google something. <laughs> have to Google. Yeah, a lot of people do that. The uh, time... Which is not pure. Like, I don't like to do that. I yeah. like to purely solve it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the New York Times used to have something, maybe you remember a 900 number clue line. And this started, I think, in the late 80s. And the first time I heard about that, I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. Who is going to spend, you know, 99 cents a minute to get an answer in the puzzle when it appears for free in the next day's newspaper? Turned out, this shows you how much I know, it turned out to be hugely successful. And the reason being... People thought, if I could just get one answer or two or three answers, that's going to allow me to finish the puzzle myself. Hugely popular. Uh, and then, I don't know, five, maybe ten years ago, the 900 number of clue lines started to d- decline in popularity after Google and other search engines because there's no reason to spend money when you can just look it up online. I, I don't think people realize that how much the crossword puzzle is like a separate revenue stream for the New York it's Times. It's huge. Like, because even when I subscribe to the New York Times online, to subscribe to the puzzle is a different subscription. Right. Even if you subscribe to the print edition or subscribe to the online edition, you still have to pay extra for the crossword. Uh, they give it to you for half price. Um, and they have almost 450,000 subscribers now uh, in the digital crossword. It appears in hundreds of other newspapers in syndication. There's the best-selling crossword books or Times collections. It's a... Uh, there's a lot of money involved to the Times, and it's something that brings me great satisfaction. I feel journalism and uh, is under attack in this country, and print is, is under pressure. And if I can help the Times company through the crossword, uh, I'm very happy. Well, also, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like games and puzzles are almost under attack, and I'll explain why I think that. So... Across the street from Columbia and a few blocks down, there's a place called the Hex Cafe. And it's a place where kids can go and play games. And they all play these very complicated strategic games with lots of rules. And the rule book is like 30 pages long. And <laughs> yeah, it takes takes a half hour just to read the rules before you start playing the game. Yeah. And I went in there once and I just wanted to play either Scrabble or Backgammon or Chess or Othello, whatever. And there was just one small little category out of the whole store. There was one small little category, nostalgic games. <laughs> These are games that are they are not nostalgic. They're 3,000 years old. Yeah. But they're now considered nostalgic in the face of these new games that are kind of really complicated and twisted. And uh, do you ever feel puzzles will go that route? Like No. Because our uh, kids are playing, are still solving crossword puzzles, but as much as they used to be. 
even more so, I think. We live in... Like, does esports kill crosswords? Esports. No, no, esports is something else. Uh, We're li living in the golden age of puzzles right now, and in, in particular, the golden age of crosswords. They've never been as interesting as they are now uh, in terms of themes, quality of the vocabulary, twistiness and, and uh, fun of the clues. Um, and there's more innovations in puzzles now than ever before. Here's another thing. In the whole history of the New York Times crossword up to me, that is 1942 to 1993, I believe there were five or six teenagers in all that time who had puzzles in the paper. I've published 39 teenagers in my time at the paper. Uh, the average age of the constructors has come down significantly. My feeling is it was in the low 50s when I started, and it's now in the high 30s. Uh, and it's a very broad audience. We're uh, living in a terrific time for puzzles. When you started at the New York Times, which is 1993, uh, did people get mad because you started bringing in more oh, yeah. pop culture oh, references? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that probably was harder for the older audience that was then solving them. Yeah. It was weird. My uh, first six months, I was, everyone had an opinion about the my changes in the crossword and my were you, style. Were you going to get fired? No, no, no. Uh, I felt secure in my job, but uh, everyone had. Come an on, give me a problem. <laughs> you had. <laughs> everyone had an opinion about the puzzle, and uh, the crazy thing was, I was getting letters the same week. People saying you're making the puzzles harder, and other people saying you're making the puzzles easier. I thought, come on, guys, it can't be both. Pick one. And later on, I realized how that could be in the way that I had changed the puzzles. It was uh, affecting people in different ways. Older solvers, especially, who knew that old-fashioned obscurity, all that old-fashioned crosswordies that was in the puzzles, and there was very little uh, at, uh, under in, in my puzzles, uh, but there was more twistiness of the clues, uh, they found the puzzles harder. Whereas younger solvers in particular, who didn't know that old-fashioned obscurity, but had lively minds, were finding my puzzles easier. So, and what's what's like, you know, obviously you challenge yourself every day by, you know, looking through these submissions, picking one, improving them, rewriting the clues. Like you say, you rewrite up to fifty percent of some of the clues in some cases, and then you're playing table tennis at night. You're you're churning out your books. But what's like, uh, what would be for you? the next significant challenge or something that you almost dread climbing that mountain that's next? Wow. Well, every day is a challenge. But um, it's the same challenge. And I agree, That's maybe that's enough. Yeah. Um, I've doing, been doing puzzles for National Public Radio for 32 years. And, uh, you know, it's not, not, it's not so easy coming up with original ideas every uh for every week but i do that feels like a challenge do you ever feel like oh, oh tomorrow's the npr and I, I don't have a new puzzle <laughs> or do you have you have kind of a backlog you're like okay i'm good till till june on on my npr puzzles oh no no it's uh it's week by week sometimes uh oh yeah i have to have a puzzle tomorrow so i think about it and then come up with something and then uh, yeah so so again you've been doing that for 32 years you've been doing the times for what 26 years uh, uh, you know, what, what else do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> huh, I don't know. I'm, uh, I do enjoy life. Uh, what's new? No. Uh, every day I want to improve my table tennis game. Uh, I don't know if you know ratings, but, uh, yes. um, 
So my skill level is probably around 1,700. Wait, so comparing this, I know the chess rating system. What, what's the average and what's the standard deviation? Right, and uh, table tennis ratings are actually based on the world chess rating system. So they're equivalent. So average is like 1,500? Yeah, uh, for, for tournament players. For tournament player. Yeah. So 17 means I'm a little above average tournament player. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, my I, I learned ping pong when uh, as a child with a ping pong table in my family's rec room and I was self-trained. I never had any coaching. So I had this quirky, idiosyncratic way of playing with uh, any idiosyncratic grip, I should say. I put my index finger straight up the back of the paddle and I- That's what I did, right Wally? Where's Wally? That's what I did when I started taking lessons from Wally. And uh, I always hit with the same side of the paddle. And there's advantages of that. Um, but there's disadvantages too, and people, uh, professionals have been telling, told me my whole life, that's a bad way to play. And I thought, well, it's too late to change, number one. And number two, you know, it helps sometimes to be different. Um, but uh, I was on my um, 64th birthday. I was getting training, um, and uh, I was having trouble again with my backhand, and I just set out of frustration. Why am I having so much trouble with this? And uh, my trainer, who's actually this Chinese kid, uh, explained again why with this grip, it's difficult. So right then, without saying a word, I changed my grip to the standard grip, the shake hands grip, and I've never looked back. Uh, now, to make such a radical change when you're 64, it's very hard. My, my skill level went, uh, didn't go down to zero, but it went really low. I could hardly hit the ball back. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been clawing my way back, and I'm almost back to where I was before I changed my grip. And I think uh, I will surpass it. You know, I want to, one of my goals in life is to become national table tennis champion for my age. So, yeah, so that's interesting. So despite all your work in puzzles, it's not like you ever became... The, the world champion at solving any particular type of puzzle. Right. You basically became the world champion at making a living <laughs> creating puzzles. You've devoted your life to puzzles, so you've built up uh, such a skill level at communicating this and 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 making making it fun for a wide audience yeah. that that was the 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 true school skill level you became the best in the world at because you from study and I think that comes from studying the history right. from practicing both solving and constructing them right and and you've certainly put in your your 30,000 hours of of huh. doing it and I love doing puzzles I mean if I uh I don't like what was the last kind of puzzle that gave you a hard time well I'm a member of the National Puzzlers League it's the world's oldest puzzlers organization. It goes back to 1883. You won't be surprised to hear I'm the historian for the organization uh, for about 25 years. And uh, there's lots of puzzles. And they have a monthly magazine called The Enigma. And there's puzzles in there I can't do. Is there like a secret meeting room underground someplace and you have to like solve a puzzle to, to know the secret key code word to get in when you knock on the door? Right. You know, there's a show going on here in Manhattan right now. Have you heard it? The Enigmatist. It's yeah. been, uh, uh, it's down in Soho. Um, David Kwong, who's a New York Times crossword contributor and also a professional magician, has a show called The Enigmatist. Uh, there is seat, it's at a, a hotel. And uh, there's seats for 96 people. There's a, a room before you get in there with four 
puzzles that you have to solve in order to go in the room and uh, watch the show. And he does puzzles and does magic tricks that are amazing. So check it out, David Kwong, K-W-O-N-G. I'm going to. And then it's kind of reminds me of like escape rooms. Yeah, it's, uh, it has the feel of escape room, except you're trying to escape into the show rather than out of the room. So it seems like there's a, there's a common theme, which is, um, you know, getting good at understanding what misdirection is. Yeah. Like understanding how to uh-huh. tease people along a certain path right. and, then, and, then, and then surprise them but in a way that, like you say, afterwards it becomes obvious, but beforehand it was not obvious. Like a joke, like a magic trick. You just mentioned this guy, David Kwong, is both a puzzle maker and a magician. It's right. very similar. Yeah, Magic trick, it's not so much, the, the trick might be the first half where you're still leading them down a certain path. Oh, the rabbit's in the hat. Oh, no, it's gone. But the real, the real thing is it's, it's underneath someone's seat in the audience that you you pick the person's name out of a hat or whatever. I don't know. You, yeah. it's some, there's some misdirection at the, after the, after people think the trick's over, then is the misdirection. So the big difference between what David Kwong does and other magicians do and what I do, uh, they're presenting a puzzle of a sort, but they don't want you to solve it. Uh, at the end, you are left in awe thinking, wow, how did he do that? Whereas in my case, I actually want you to finish the puzzle. That's right, but, where the satisfaction comes. But there could be satisfaction too in just knowing the clue and the answer. So reading a puzzle after it's solved and, and appreciating the misdirection, okay. uh, there's a pleasure in that. It's why somebody calls the 900 number for, for an answer. Yeah, right. Um, and so I wonder if there's a, there's, it's, it's difficult to think in this misdirection way. And I wonder if that's kind of a skill level that can be a skill that can be practiced. Because that's not just good for magic. That's good for negotiating. That's good for sales. You know, if you're negotiating and they know, oh, it's obvious the direction this person is going for. It's obvious the salary this person's going to ask. Then they can negotiate better against you. Yeah. Um, if you go in there and say, I'm going to, I'm going to negotiate really hard for you. I want nothing. <laughs> then uh, what's going on? There's a magic trick somewhere. And uh, I wonder if puzzles are an interesting way to practice misdirection or if there are other ways. Huh. Don't know. Never. <laughs> I've never thought of that. I like that idea. What's, uh, what are some kind of, other than crossword puzzles, what are some like logic puzzles or books puzzle enjoyers can, can do? I'll tell you, I don't enjoy cro- crossword puzzles as much as, let's say, chess puzzles because I feel... If you all you need to know with chess is the rule, or even Scrabble puzzles or anagrams, all you need to do is know the rules, and then uh, you can solve the puzzle. Right. With crossword puzzles, I know you have to know stuff. You have to know things. <laughs> and some people, uh, I have found that the universe of crossword solvers is quite different from the universe of Sudoku solvers. Yeah, because Sudoku is another game that's the the infamy. It's a game of it's a puzzle of let's call it perfect information. Right. So all the information is right there on the puzzle. Right. With a crossword puzzle, you have to have knowledge outside the puzzle. Yes. And people who love crosswords like to have their minds and their knowledge tested in that way. Um, and people who sell love Sudoku tend not to. You know, they. Uh, um, it's a different universe. Yeah, it's like I feel like there's this extra stress. Like, oh gosh, I wish I would have studied harder for that test. <laughs> or, <laughs> or I wish I saw this movie keeps referring to. Uh, I don't know anything about that movie. That's pressure you're putting on yourself. Uh, absolutely true. It's certainly a choice. But uh, uh, you know, clearly you like the well. You like both. I like you, both. Yeah, I'm, a, uh, I'm in the minority. And then, and then I feel like logic puzzles, like like 
you know, the example you saw, the island of truth tellers and liars, that's also yeah. a perfect information kind of puzzle. Right. Um, what, what are other puzzles that you dabble with or that or yeah. that might be fun? I love Ken Ken. It's in uh, the New York Times every day next to the crossword, and there's books of them. Um, really almost any kind of puzzle. The only kind that I'd say I'm really not good at is Rubik's Cube and things in three dimensions. I like two dimensions. Yeah, because with Rubik's Cube, to, to truly solve it without help, you need to know a certain amount of math. And, you know, it's, you know, he basically created, what was his name, Ernst Rubik, right. uh, uh, created it to help students solve topology problems. And he was a math professor in, in Budapest. Yeah. So uh, I feel like that's a different kind of puzzle. Yeah. I think one reason maybe I'm not so good at chess is that it is three-dimensional. Don't you think of that? Uh, you're not looking for if you're solving a problem or you're in a game, you're looking, well, you're not just looking one step ahead. That's two dimensions. You're looking multiple steps ahead, which is like three dimensions. But same with the crossword puzzle because it's like chess with words because just because you know, okay, if you have a, you're, you're dealing with in your mind while you're solving a crossword puzzle, correct me if I'm wrong, you're dealing with probabilities. Like, there's maybe an 80% chance this clue has this answer and a 20% chance it has this. <laughs> so you kind of have to keep that in your... That's why people use pencils. You kind of have to keep it in your head or write it on the corner of the boxes. And then four steps ahead, you might realize, oh, it's not the 80% one, it was the 20% one. So you go back in a race and start over. Yeah. But you only have to do two dimensions. I guess it's true. But I still think I have to think ahead. Like oh, yeah? I'm, I'm calculating moves ahead. Well, if I answer this way, how's it going to affect... Uh -huh. When I'm doing the across is, okay, it's like two steps ahead. If you are stuck, I mean, it does make sense to guess. Uh, think about uh, not only if you don't, if you know the answer, whether or not you know the answer, think about what kind of letter could go here. Does it look like a vowel? Does it look like a consonant? Does it look like an S or something? And if you, sometimes that's enough to break open an answer and then you're off and running again. Does someone like uh, Ken Jennings, who's the you know the the Jeopardy uh, champion, the right. best at Jeopardy ever, would is someone like him excellent at crossword puzzles? He's pretty good because he knows a lot of stuff. Um, there was a, I don't know, it was about eight or ten years ago after he was a celebrity. I invited him to the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament to present the prizes because he's a celebrity. You know, puzzle geeks yeah. love Ken Jennings, and uh, he won one of the divisions. So he's the only prize presenter ever at the tournament to present a prize to himself. And have, have you ever played in your own tournament? No, no, because I select and edit the puzzles, and so I do everything. So no, I, I know the answers. I do pretty well, actually. Well, let, let, me just, let me just see here. I wrote down a few notes. I just want to make sure I hit on everything. Um, so I just, I, I just like this quote that you wrote. Uh, I forget when you wrote it, but when you were, you say when you were a kid, you imagined a life where you'd be sitting in an attic somewhere. I'll, I'll, I'll use your words. When I was a kid, I imagined a life where I'd be sitting in an attic somewhere, making my little puzzles for $15 each, somehow surviving. I actually wrote a paper in eighth grade about what I wanted to do with my life and what it was to be a professional puzzle maker. Yeah. And Can you imagine what kind of, what kind of kid does that? So, so now like, let's say someone's listening to this and they're 50 and they're thinking to themselves, man, I've been going to work at this job I really don't <laughs> like for the past 25 years, and I want to do what I think is really fun. Maybe I want to write comic books, or I want to make music, or I want to solve puzzles and do crossword puzzles. 
What's what's the you've been doing this? You've been getting good at this skill. You put in your thirty thousand hours starting at the age of three. What <laughs> what what do you suggest to someone who wants to pursue a, a love like this? You've obviously so lucky to to pursue something yeah, yeah. you love so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always tell people, find out what you love most in life, and then see if you can make a living from it. But sometimes, and not everyone can do that. And there's a lot of boring jobs that need to be done. And there's no nothing bad about that. You know, but part of the reason sometimes people can't find out what they want, what they love in life, is because for 25 years they've been just doing that commute to work and that paralegal work and whatever. Yeah. And so their mind has shut that part of itself off. Yeah. And so they don't know how to. You've only your compass has always been set towards a true north of what you wanted to do in life. Their compass has drifted a little bit. How do, how do you think you can reset it? Wow. Oh, I, and, don't, I don't and, have an answer you, to that. You might but, be the wrong person to ask because yeah. you've always you've never had to do it. I think I have a very flexible mind. I think the thing that I am best at in the world is solving problems. And if you give me any kind of problem, personal problem, otherwise, I will think through every possible solution there is, and then suggest the one that I think is the best. Um, if you're the sort of person who does not have a flexible mind, then you're going to have trouble doing that. And I think the coming up with every options means being okay with the unobvious ones where the misdirection right. comes in. And yeah. I think a lot of people rule out too quickly things that are unobvious. Because sometimes a stupid idea leads to a good one. If yeah, you if you mind it a little it. more deeply. Yeah. Well, Will Schwartz, you're the most disappointing guest ever because <laughs> you just did whatever you no wanted problems. for your entire <laughs> life. You had no problems whatsoever. You rose to the top. You're the editor of the New York Times Crossword Puzzle, and you wrote uh, 500 something books about everything you've wanted to ever write about. <laughs> and you're gonna, what are you gonna do tonight? I'm gonna play some table tennis. Are you gonna work on crossword puzzles? I'll probably do some puzzles too. How many do you work on any one time? Um, how many? Well, one at a time. I do one puzzle at a time. And then Sudoku, it's not like you put a Sudoku puzzle anywhere. Those are just more for books and, and deadlines on books. Right. Okay, if I wanna get better at puzzles, just last question. If I wanna get better, at puzzles, what should I do? Like anything in life, the more you do, the better you get. Um, find out, uh, pick the kind of puzzle you like to do the most and just do it. All right. Well, thanks so much, Will Schwartz. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I think we've been trying to get you on the podcast probably it's for been years. A while. <laughs> so I'm so glad you came here. I hope this wasn't a disappointing interview because I, I feel like I haven't... Here's what I like my guests to say at the end of a podcast. I like them to say, boy, I feel like I was just at a therapy session. But you're already so happy, you probably don't even go to therapy. You don't need therapy. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast, though. I really appreciate it. I'm a, a longtime fan for years and years, and I'm just so impressed not only with your work but with, with your career, and, and it's, it's really inspirational. Thanks a lot, James. So thank it's, you. It's fun. James, I just want to ask one question. What's, can you tell everybody your favorite word? Uh-huh. What's your favorite word? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I read about this. Yeah. So what's your favorite word? My favorite word is ukalagon. <laughs> U-C-A-L-E-G-O-N. It's a neighbor whose house is on fire. And, and why did they come up with a word for that? There is a Greek myth involving someone named ukalagon whose house was on fire. 
So, so uh, it's kind of like, you just Okalagon that house. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and how you would ever use that in conversation, I don't know, which is the beauty of the word. It's so useless. That's so funny. I'm going to have to start thinking of my favorite word. Like, you know, I was on, uh, you know, sometimes people find their favorite words are inspirational words, like believe or... Uh, oh yeah, self love or right. whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> mine, I think, is defenestrate, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, wait, that's is that clearing a forest of woods? No, no. That's uh, defenestrate is to th- kill someone by throwing them out a window. <laughs> that's defenestrate. <laughs> oh <laughs> What's another fun word? <laughs> another fun word. Uh, wow, uh, a nosarian, n o s a r i a n, a nosarian is Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.